born to die that he might give eternal life that I might live Welcome to Yankee Arnold Ministries. Dr. Arnold will be with you in just a moment, but first, we want you to know how much we appreciate your prayers and financial support. You may help this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Again, that's 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Feel free to send Dr. Arnold your questions or comments to yankee at yankeearnold.com, and he will respond as quickly as possible. Now, here is Dr. Arnold with today's message. But I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Acts and chapter 1. This is the third message in the book of Acts, a series that we're going to be doing as we go through the book of Acts. And uh, I want to talk to you about an individual that you've heard about, and that is Judas Iscariot. Everybody's heard that name. And was he saved or was he lost? Because after all, he was one of the disciples. And as a disciple, well, he should have, uh, no doubt, known the Lord. And if he was saved, where did he go when he died? So it does get very interesting. And I want you to look there in Acts chapter 1 and verse 12. Then returned they into Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey, a little over half a mile. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room and were abode Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James and the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zelotes and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. Now, totally, it was about 120 there in the upper room. And then it says they had to make a decision. Well, uh, in those days it says Peter, because, you know, there were 12 disciples, and now there's only 11 because Judas is now dead. So they took those scriptures that were in the Old Testament that somebody else would take their place. Now, there's pros and cons on both sides about whether or not uh, he should have done it or he shouldn't have done it. I don't really care. I believe that the person that they chose... Uh, was never heard of again. But then a lot of the disciples were not heard of again. And that um, we have later on the great Apostle Paul that we know was an apostle and I believe numbered with the, the original. So anyway, but be that as it may, it's not going to change the fact that one had died. What happened to him? And why did he die? And was he saved and then lost? Because there's many people that believe that he was a saved man, and now he goes to hell. And he became a lost man. But it talks about how he had betrayed the Lord, you know, and sold him for some money and 
Later on, it was used to buy some a field of blood where they had a cemetery. And anyway, things weren't looking too good. So we'll look down there in verse 23. And they appointed two Joseph called Barsabas, and who was surnamed Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Lord, uh, which knoweth the hearts of all men, choose whether of these two thou shalt have chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he may go to his own place. So is his own place a different place than where everybody else was going to go to? And they cast their lots, and it fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Now the scripture here doesn't say whether it was right or wrong. Just, this is what happened. Uh, the book of Acts is a historical book. It doesn't tell us what to do or not to do. It just tells you this is what happened. If you take the book of Acts out of the Bible and you just finish with the Gospels, and then you start with Romans, and there's a whole gap in there of knowledge. Well, what happened? So the book of Acts is a bridge between the Gospels and the doctrinal books. So it's very, very important. And the book of Acts is a book of action. As you study the book of Acts, you'll find out when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they were to be witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, now the most parts of the earth. And one story after the other is a soul-winning story. The soul-winning adventures all the way through. So as you read it, you find out what Christ meant when he told his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Well, the book of Acts tells you what he meant because they understood and they did it. And so if you want to know what serving the Lord's all about, then you study the book of Acts. It is a book of action that helps you to see and understand our responsibility. Now, in the very beginning, it says there, and I want you to see this, look in verse 18. Now this man, talking about Judas, purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and fallen headlong, he burst asunder in the mist, and all his bowels gushed out. It was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, inasmuch as that field is called in their proper tongue, a seldomon, that is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, and no man dwell therein, and his bishopric, or his officer service, uh, let another take. So they wanted to know what they should do. So they kind of like drew straws and cast lots, and uh, they got a man that nobody ever hears about again. Uh, he could have been numbered with them. I don't know. And sometime when Scripture's not enough light on it, then it's better leave it alone. But what about the man? I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Mark chapter 3. Mark and chapter 3. Now, do stay with me because this is very important because if he was saved and was lost, how do you know you can't be saved today and lost tomorrow? And if you can be lost, you can't say absolutely that you know you're going to go to heaven because you might do the same thing he did. What? Betrayed the Lord. Isn't it possible? But anyway, here in the book of Mark chapter 3, I want you to look there in verse 13. And he goeth up into a mountain, and calleth unto him whom he would. And they came unto him, and he ordained twelve, that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach, and to have power to heal sicknesses, and to cast out devils. And Simon, he surnamed Peter. And he goes down through and names all these various individuals. And then in verse 19 he says, 
and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him. And they went into an house. So he chose him. Well, did he only choose believers, or it didn't make any difference? Did he choose them to be saved, or he just chose them to do a job? He wanted them to do this, and go there, and do this, and do that. And uh, therefore, he gave them the power to do these various things. And it had absolutely nothing to do with him being saved. It was just a responsibility. Remember, you can be a disciple of Christ and not saved. And you can be saved and not a disciple. You see, you can follow the teachings of Christ and never trust Him as your Savior. And you may just trust Him as your Savior and never serve Him and still be saved. So you see, the key is trust Him as your Savior and then as a child of God, serve the Lord. That would be the ideal. But what about this man? What about him? And so I want you to look in your Bible to Luke chapter 22. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, look there in verse 1. In verse 1, it says, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. And the chief priest and scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. And he went his way and communed with the chief priests and the captains how he might betray him unto them. And they were glad and coveted to give him money. And he promised and sought opportunity to betray him, and unto them in the absence of the multitude. So they made a deal. You pay me, and I'll betray Christ to you, and I'll show you how you can catch him and where he's going to be. Because he'd already done walk with him. But it makes the statement here in verse 3, Then entered Satan into Judas. Now the Bible does talk about you know, if you trust Christ as your Savior, if I trust Christ as my Savior, the Holy Spirit indwells me, and He'll never leave me and never forsake me. Well, then I don't have to worry about Satan indwelling me because Satan cannot indwell me. I cannot be indwelt by evil spirits if I have the Holy Spirit living within me. So I never have tried to, in all of my ministry, go into all the world and try to cast out devils out of people. All I do is just try to get them to trust Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit, and dwell them, case solved. Now, you may be de demon-oppressed, but not demon-possessed. There are lost people that, yes, demons are real. If it wasn't real, you might as well take out most of the miracles in the Bible because it dealt with that subject of Jesus Christ, either healing somebody, casting out a, a dumb spirit, and uh, whatever. So the Bible is full of those things. But here is a man who walked with the Lord for three and a half years, who saw everything that he did. He was able to even do the miracles and so forth because God gave him the power they could do it. And he heard all the preaching. He heard all these sermons. He had to even hear John 3.16 because John 3.16 is not the end of Christ's ministry. John 3.16 was at the beginning of Christ's ministry. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish. That's at the beginning of Christ's ministry. John chapter 3. 
He had to hear all of these things. And yet, I do not believe he ever trusted in the Messiah. He heard, he saw, he walked, but never believed it. And it's just like you can come to church. Isn't that a Christian thing to do? Reading your Bible, isn't that a Christian thing to do? Praying, isn't that a Christian thing to do? But just because you do those things, does that guarantee you're going to heaven? No, you're not going to heaven just because you do those things. You see, if you never trust Christ as your Savior, you still don't go, even though you do all those Christian things. And you may live right. You may pay all your bills. You may work hard. Moral individual. But if you never trust Christ, you still don't go to heaven. So even though he saw, he heard, he was with it, for three and a half years he never believed on the Lord. You say, can you prove that? I'm going to do my dead level best to prove what I'm saying is true. Look in John chapter 12, the gospel of John and chapter 12. John chapter 12, and look in verse 2. In verse 2 says, There they made him a supper. Martha served. Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. So you know who he is. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Now, isn't that a wonderful spiritual thing to say? He was concerned about the poor. You know, there's a lot of people talk about the poor, the poor, the poor. Christ says the poor you'll always have with you. Some people, believe it or not, are poor by choice. Well, I could get sidetracked here very easily right now. But I'm not, but I'm not. I'm going to stick with my context here. So he says, this perfume is so expensive, we could have sold it and given it to the poor. Look at the next verse. This he said because he was spiritual, because he was so godly. No, that's not what he says. He says in verse 6, this he said, not that he cared for the poor but because he was a thief and had the bag, and he was the secretary, financial secretary for the group. And he bare what was put therein. You see, what does that mean? It means that what was put therein, he took there out. <laughs> he was a thief. Now, do you think that Jesus knew he was a thief? I mean, if Jesus is God, then he knew all about Judas. And knew that Judas was a, a phony baloney from the very beginning. Now look what else he says. When he makes this statement here, it goes down and talks about all this. But look in verse 18. For this cause, the people also met him. For they that heard that he had done this miracles, the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye how he, ye prevailed nothing. Behold, the world is gone after him. Everybody was going after him. He had made a triumphant entry into the city. And uh, how he did it, everybody was honoring and worshiping. Who he, and think for a moment. Here is Judas who was there, who saw all of this, 
and didn't believe that he was who he claimed to be. Now, he gets to the place where that question is going to be asked. So look there in John chapter 13. John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, and look there in verse 1. Now, behold, the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Remember that statement because I'm going to refer to that statement a little bit later. In verse 2, supper being ended, the devil, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he was come from God and went to God. Now, he knew everything that was going on. He knew he came from God, he knew who he was, and he knew Judas, and he knew what Judas was going to do. It was not a secret, it wasn't hid from him. He knew what was going to happen. See up there in verse 11? For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, ye are not all clean. You're not all clean. Because he had made the statement, I have... You're clean because I've washed you clean, but you're not all clean. In other words, you're saved, talking to his disciples, but not all of you are. Because he knew which one was not. And they were not all clean. And as you go down through here, you'll find out there's some other things that he mentions, and it's so important, because I want you to see there in verse 18. He says, I speak not of you all. All, that word all, you ought to underline in a circle. I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen. But that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come, that when it is come to pass, you may believe that I am he. I want you to believe what I'm saying. I know everything. Jesus is God. And he says, you're not all clean. And there's one among you that's definitely not. He's going to betray me. You say, well, that doesn't mean that he wasn't saved. Well, I'm not through yet either, am I? Don't jump the gun on me. Look now in Matthew 26. Matthew and chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26 and look there in verse 47. Verse 47. And it says there in verse 47, this is on page 1039 in an old school reference Bible, the Bible that's in the, the pew there. So in verse 47 it says, While he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came and with him a great multitude, with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people, now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he. Hold him fast. Now is that something? They're going to try to bind the hands of Jesus. Like I'm going to tie God up. Jesus is God and we're going to tie God up. Dumb. If you saw a man who was able to walk on water... Cast out devils, feed 5,000, 
make the blind to see and the deaf to hear and raise the dead. If you saw somebody do all that, would you want to mess with them? But nobody said Judas was smart. But this is what was happening. And he was there. He made a deal. He made a deal with the devil. And there was a price to pay. So even down here in verse 50, he says, And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus, and they took him, as though they were able to take him with their own power. Do you realize what he could have done to them? Do you realize if that had been me, what I would have done? <laughs> if I saw them coming, I'd have said, I double dog dare you. I'd have spit in their eye. I'd have, I'd have slapped their jaws. I'd have gave them a Hawaiian punch. I'd have sent them back into another century. And then I would have, okay, now you can take me. But then that's why I'm not the Lord. Jesus Christ was God, and he knew everything that was going to happen before it takes place. Now, turning your Bible to chapter 27, Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, and look in verse 3. In verse 3, and it says, Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself, brought again the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned, and that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to that. In other words, they didn't care. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed, and went and hanged himself. Now this is what Judas did. He knew what he had done was wrong. It doesn't say that he ever trusted the Lord. He grieved because of what he had done. He threw the money back, and then he went and hanged himself. And so it says they took this money, and they bought a field, and it was known even to that day. Now, John chapter 6, the Gospel of John and chapter 6. The Bible says that all that the Father giveth to Christ shall come to him. You see, when we trust Christ as our Savior, we are born of God. God becomes our Father. He fathered us. We are born into His family, born from above. And the Bible tells us that God is going to take all of those who accept that payment that was made for them, born of God, and He's going to give us to the Son. So we are the inheritance for the Son in the book of Psalms chapter 2. So we become his inheritance. This is what he gets. He gets us. And he says, all that the Father giveth to me shall come to me. And he that cometh to me I will in no wise ever cast out. Look what he says there in verse 36. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. So there were people that have been there, they saw him, they walk with him, they talk with him, and still did not believe. Because he's God, he knows who believes and who does not believe. We can fool each other, but we cannot fool God. You can be here this morning, sitting in a Christian church, doing the Christian thing, 
and still not be saved. That doesn't mean you're going to heaven just because, you know, you read the Bible and you pray and you mean well, you're sincere. If you have not personally accepted Jesus Christ as your only hope of going to heaven, you don't go to heaven. You don't go. You must accept him. You must believe that when he died, he paid for your sins. You see, the reason I don't have to pay for my sins is because I believe he did it for me. So I don't have one sin to pay for. He paid for all of them. From the time I'm born to the time that I die, he died for me. He paid for all of my sins. You don't have to pay for something twice. If Christ paid for all of my sins, there's none left for me to pay. I couldn't go to hell if I tried. I haven't tried. But I can't go to hell. Because my sins are all paid. You say, well, you don't deserve that. I know I don't deserve it. That's why God says, for by grace are you saved. Through faith. That not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works. And yet there's people trying to earn and work their way for something that God says you can't work for. So he makes the statement here in verse 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. And look at what he says in verse 39. And this is the Father's will, which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing. So God said, I'll never cast you out. I will never lose you. And then he says up here in verse 47, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath, present tense, right now, hath everlasting life. And so Christ says, I'll never cast you out. I will never lose you. So why, why is that so important? Well, because of what I'm going to show you. This is all the foundational stuff that you need to see because I want you to understand and believe what God is saying here is so important. Now look there in chapter 6. You're right there in chapter 6. Now look up there in verse 64. Verse 64. In verse 64, this is on page 1124, but there are some of you that believe not. Well, how does he know? Well, he wouldn't if he wasn't God. But he's God, and he knows who believes him and who doesn't believe. But he says, some of you that believe not. Get this. For Jesus knew from the what? From the beginning. Who they were that believed not, and who should betray him. You ought to underline that. He knew from the beginning who does not believe and who's going to betray him. He already knows that. And he said, Therefore said I unto you, No man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. In other words, God says he will save all those who come to him. And you can't come to him unless the Father draw you. Well, how does the Father draw you? Christ says, If I be lifted up, I will draw all men. So you see, he is lifted up. He makes a payment. And by that message of the gospel, the good news of what Christ did for us so that we can go to heaven, he's going to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature because God wants every person to hear the message because through that gospel message, that good news, God draws you. And here you are and you say, that makes sense to me. 
I realize I can't save myself, and all I have to do is trust Christ as my Savior. I believe He did it for me. That message is the most powerful message in all the world. So He uses that message to draw us to Him. And when He draws us to Him, and we hear it and understand it and believe it, then we are saved. And so that's why Jesus says, no man can come to the Father except the Father draw him. And then those that the Father has, God's going to give those to him. And he says, and I'll never cast you out, and I will never lose you. Do you have to be baptized in water to be saved and go to heaven? Would that make the person who baptized you your Savior? There are at least five baptisms in the Bible. Which one gets you to heaven? Pastor Yankee Arnold has prepared just the right book with answers straight from the Bible. The book is called Gospel Driven Man, and Pastor Yankee wants to send it to you free of charge. Simply write to Pastor Yankee at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634, and request the book. Or request by email at yankee at yankeearnold.com. That's yankee at yankeearnold.com. Thanks for listening to today's broadcast. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you and your family. You may help support this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Friend, one day it will happen. The trumpet will sound, and we will be changed, caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So live today and every day, believing that the Lord is coming soon, and just keep looking up. Amazing grace amazes me.